freed us uh, from sin, from death. I pray that you would just speak through Michael. You would just open up our hearts, open up our eyes, just to see your truth and your word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Just a, a wonderful amount of scripture in that song from 2 Corinthians 5.17 to Galatians 2 to Ephesians 2 to Romans 1. Um, because we have been redeemed, we don't have to be ashamed. And we can be the body of Christ. At this time, our elementary and preschool and their teachers can be dismissed across the hall. Elementary is back in this back room and the preschool is directly across that way. And while they're doing that, if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We are continuing uh, just a brief look at the idea of labels in this new year before we return to our study in the life of Jacob, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks or so, give or take how long we spend here. But Ephesians chapter 4 is where we are this morning. It's where we were last week as well. Again, it is good to be with the body of Christ this morning. It's good to uh, enjoy your presence, your fellowship. It's good to hear you sing. One of the reasons I like sitting in the front, and we sat fairly close to the front before we came here, um, just attending church, because that way I can, the music's real loud, and I can hear that, and people behind me are real loud, and I can hear that, and then I can't hear myself. So the louder you sing, the better off I am. makes me happy, which is a good thing. Uh, the clothing company St. Croix made a black kind of mock turtleneck sweater that was uh, made famous, actually, by Steve Jobs, the brain trust behind Apple computers. And when he died, uh, sales of that black mock turtleneck uh, doubled overnight. They sold twice as many uh, in the days and weeks following his death as they normally did. don't know why. I'm sure some people thought... Uh, I want to honor him, a lot of Apple devotees and fans. Or maybe some people thought, if I wear this and people see that, they'll be reminded of him and they'll think that I'm a genius as well. I don't know. I'm sure St. Croix probably didn't care people's motives. They were just happy that uh, their label was being distributed far and wide. They probably also didn't care who bought those shirts. My guess is they didn't stay up worrying at night. Do you think the right person bought it? Do you think if, if, if that guy's wearing that shirt, he'll be nice to his wife? Or he'll be honest at work? Or he'll be concerned what the neighbors think about him? Uh, probably not. Again, my guess is they're motivated by money and people usually don't get bad press based on what they wear. I mean, you, you don't hear this. Another bank robbery tonight at the third week in a row, the robber was wearing Nike tennis shoes. Right? We don't hear that, right? Nonetheless, uh, we do as human beings often look at people, look at what they wear, the labels they have on, so to speak, and we make value judgments about them, right? We look at how someone dresses and we, we assume things. Whether we should or not, we, we do, uh, and so, right or wrong, the labels that we wear, while the clothing company probably could care less, um, our neighbors and our friends and 
those we know do pay attention. They do notice those things. Again, right or wrong. But God is not like our neighbors. He doesn't look at your clothes and, and take a first impression and go, oh, he's probably or she's probably like this. Um, because God sees our heart, not the label that we have on the tag in the back. But God's also not like St. Croix in that he is concerned. If you wear his label, if you take the name Christ or say I'm part of the body of Christ, he is concerned about your behavior. He is concerned how you treat your wife, whether you're honest at work, what your neighbors think about you. Now, not concerned like, say, the Greek gods in, in ancient mythology who were concerned and often worried about how people thought of them. And they were manipulative. And they were cunning. And they tried to win people's favor. God's not interested in winning your favor. <laughs> but He is concerned. Because He's concerned about His name, His reputation. From the beginning, from the garden, He has used people to spread His reputation throughout the earth. He made man in His image and said, Be fruitful and multiply, so as to spread that image far and wide, that the world would see the principalities, the authorities, the spiritual world and the physical world would see His character. And He's done that from the beginning. This wonderful, awesome, majestic God has used people, of all things, to show His character to the world. And He has set a very high standard. Extremely high. I don't know if you're aware, the world record for the high jump is a little over eight feet. That's about a foot from the top of the ceiling. Anybody in here want to Think you could do that? Let's get a running start. And I can't even reach that high, much less jump that high. Can you imagine taking your body and getting it over an eight-foot bar? I, I can't. I'd have trouble jumping up on the stage, I think. God's standard is considerably higher than that, actually. And that should raise a little bit of tension in the room. Because God's standard is, is more impossible than that high jump bar would be for us. But there's good news in that. You see, the, the people, the, the world-class athletes who attempt to jump over that, it's just uh, them and their track coach, I guess. It's all they've got. But we, on the other hand, have something that puts a little spring in our step, so to speak. It's called grace. So would you look at me this, with me this morning at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 as we um, talk about God's high standard, as we talk about what it means to be the, the body of Christ, what it means to wear that label. Um, and last week we looked at how we are supposed to walk worthy well, Paul also is going to tell us that we walk by grace. Again, I'm going to read the whole section, including what we talked about last week, um, just for context. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4 through verse 16, uh, Paul writes these words. 
Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity in the, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men. By craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds. And then ultimately we ask that you'd, uh, you'd move our wills to be obedient to the things that you have called us to be. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Christ gives us gifts. We see in, in verses 7 through 11 that that's what He came for. We need to notice something because sometimes we get down in about verse 11 and we forget what verse 7 says. But to each one of us, grace was given. It's the beginning of this section and, and the context is every one of you, God's going to equip you for what He has called you to. He gives grace to every person. I don't think this is grace for salvation. This is grace for living. This is grace for walking in a manner worthy of His calling. This is after you have, in a sense, changed allegiance. I've given up myself and I've accepted Christ. He continues to give you grace. He continues to give you what you need. Okay, so I'm in the Olympics now, but I'm facing this eight-foot-high bar if God's left me on my own, I'm still on my own. Okay, I got in. I got on the track. Right, I signed up. I've got a number, but without His help, there's, there's no way I'm clearing that, right? And then Paul uses a, a, a biblical and historical uh, quote to prove his point. Uh, the problem is it appears he misquotes the Old Testament. He says, therefore, it says, and he appears that he's quoting from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. The problem is where it appears that quote came from. David says, and when you ascended on high, you led captive a host of captives and you received gifts from men. Paul says that God gave gifts to men. David wrote, you received gifts from men. Is, is Paul, did he lose his mind? Did he misquote? Should we... We cut that part out. No longer inspired. Right? 
We've said before in here that when a, a New Testament author quotes the Old Testament, it's extremely helpful to look at the context of where he's quoting from, not just the single verse. Just because in my Bible they put this in different font doesn't mean it's a direct quote. Obviously, Paul is paraphrasing the first part. He's changing from second person you to third person he, just in the context of what he's writing. But then what I think he's doing is he's summing up that whole psalm. What that psalm really is about is from the beginning, God has provided for his people. What God has done from the beginning is, is provide them leaders. He's provided them a place. He's provided them his presence. He's provided them provision, especially those who are weak and unable to fend for themselves. And so what I think Paul is doing is he's looking at that whole psalm and saying, from the beginning throughout history, we serve a God who likes to give things. That's what he's about. He, he gathers the people to himself and, and then he gives them wonderful gifts, gifts they couldn't acquire on their own, like a place to live and like provision and protection, and like His name to live and dwell among them. And in fact, David ends that psalm with these words, The God of Israel Himself gives strength and power to the people. And so, what Paul is using is a, a biblical argument to say, this is the God we serve, this is the God who's done this throughout our history, why would he not continue to do that? And I would say the first thing we need to think about this morning is we're part of that story. If we claim the name of Christ, if we wear that tag, body of Christ, then we can trust that God will indeed give to us what we need as well. Paul's setting a precedent. This is what God does. You can expect him to continue to do that. And then he kind of shows why. He says... Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended? Paul is now tying uh, to who really does that. It's Christ. It's, as we talked about just last month, the incarnation makes all of that possible. It's the one who descended to be with us, who ascended and who now continues to give gifts to men. It is because of what our Savior did coming to earth, going to the cross, that God has gifted us. And then in verse 11, he gives some examples of, of how he has gifted us, how he's gifted the church. And he lists uh, five gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Um, we, could spend, we could spend a whole morning talking about those five gifts. I don't want to do that. I want to give you a brief summary. Um, but I have written up kind of a longer summary, if you're interested, if you like those kind of things with some scripture references. It's on the back table if you'd like to grab one when we're done um, with some more information. But let me just give you a, kind of a, just a brief definition of, of those terms. Um, there were several kinds of, several, I think, kinds of apostles. There were the twelve, those who had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry and witnessed the resurrection. And then there was people like Paul who saw the risen Lord, but there are several places in Scripture where there are people that are called apostles, and it doesn't appear that um, they saw Jesus personally. So an apostle is one, it seems, that was sent by God on uh, a particular important mission, so to speak, 
it seems particularly to begin churches, uh, to reach to a place where the gospel hadn't been named. A prophet is one who, um, in the New Testament, speaks forth truth for edification and encouragement and comfort. Um, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 14. An evangelist is no different, I think, than we think about an evangelist today. Someone who is proclaiming the gospel. That's um, his role. God sends him out to continue to preach the gospel, whether there's a church there or not. If there's non-believers, an evangelist is someone who is interested in, in proclaiming God's truth of who he is and, and what we need to do to be in relationship with him. And then uh, the idea of pastor and teacher. Some people say that's two different uh, gifts, and some people say that's really just one gift with two names. Um, it seems from uh, just the way the grammar is written that it could be that one is a subset of the other, that all pastors are indeed teachers, but not all teachers have the gift of pastoring. Um, that's a, certainly a possibility. I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. Um, but those gifts are given to the church. People that are gifted like that are given to the church and say, well, why? We read about that in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So there's the body of Christ, and Paul is going to now show us what that high bar looks like. What, what are these gifts, these, in a sense, these foundational gifts supposed to, supposed to do for all of us? Will they equip us to serve? Um, that word service is probably just like it is today. Um, it's what Martha did uh, for Jesus when he said, you should have been sitting at my feet, but she was fixing and preparing. When it's used of someone who's serving a kind of a larger group, a, a lot of times the Bible will translate that as ministry. So if you think of the word ministry or the word service, it's, it's the same word. These gifts are given to equip all of us, each of us, to serve. Basically to help out someone in need. And that's everything from making the coffee in the morning to sharing the gospel. To bringing a brother or sister alongside and discipling them and helping them to grow. It's, it's everything and all in between. It's what we do as the body of Christ for those around us, helping one another to grow. That's service. The good thing is that we're all equipped in some form or fashion to do that. And, and what, where I have been blessed, where I have been amazed is since the time we got here, the vast majority of you are doing that. We've been in churches before where that the 80-20 rule applies where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that's not the case here. I just want to say thank you. There are many of you, day in and day out, through uh, your talents, your gifts, your love, where you are serving one another and this community in wonderful, marvelous ways. So we encourage you to persevere, to keep going. I need you to continue to do that. We need each other to continue to do that. This community needs us to continue to do that. So thank you. And let me encourage you to persevere in that, to continue, to not give up, to not grow weary in doing good. The body of Christ needs you. This community needs you. 
So a couple of uh, other applications, though. If you are serving, are you encouraging someone else to come alongside? Are you, are you looking around the body and seeing, you know, I think they have the same gift that I have. I wonder if I could help them nurture that gift. If you have a gift, are you bringing someone alongside you to help them grow in that gift as well? So that we can, be, we can benefit from that gift. If you're not serving, let me encourage you to, to find a place to do so. Young or old, whether you feel like you have any gifts or all at all, you do. Um, let me give you three things to think about as you try to figure out where you should fit in, where you can serve. Number one, uh, pray about it. God loves to use His people. Uh, probably not a prayer that He would enjoy more than, God, I want to serve. I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what my gifts are. Spend some time praying and then listening. Uh, second, ask some people who know you fairly well. It's easy for us to become blinded to our own strengths and weaknesses, uh, not see what we're really good at or what we're really bad at. Um, but other people often can see it well, and they just may be afraid of saying something. But if you give them an invitation, would you tell me what I'm good at? Would you tell me where I have a gift? They might be willing to, to say, yeah, you know what, I've noticed that you're really good at. And then, take a step forward. Get involved in something. It may be small, it may be huge, but find something. And please don't ever think that God calls us to a life of drudgery. <laughs> when we use our gifts our God-given gifts, to serve the body, it, it does bring joy to us. And so it may be that you take a couple of starts and stops in finding out what you really enjoy doing and how you enjoy helping out the body of Christ. So pray, ask someone, and then take that step. I realize the bar is high, but if you don't take a, a step, right, you'll never get up enough speed to even attempt a jump. So let me encourage you to start. So he equips us to serve, but he does that for a purpose. Look at verse 13. We do that. We, we use our gifts. We help each other. We equip each other. We love each other until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There are three things that we're shooting for here. We're shooting for unity, we're shooting for maturity, and we're shooting for Christ-likeness. First, we're shooting for unity. He says, um, unity of the faith, I think that refers back to verse 5 we talked about last week, that one object of our faith. It's a strange thing when, when you and I get involved in each other's lives. When I begin using my gifts, when you begin using your gifts, and we encourage and help each other, people look around and go, how in the world are those sinful people productive? <laughs> and what that does is it, it strengthens our faith because we know each other, right? And if we get to know each other well enough, we know he couldn't or she couldn't or I couldn't do that without God's help. And so we become unified in the object of our faith. If it's not for Christ, this whole thing's going to fall apart. 
but we also become unified in the knowledge of the Son of God because when I see you showing compassion, I learn something about God. He's compassionate. When I see someone else being generous and know that that's God doing it through them, then I realize, oh, God is generous. When we're all using the gifts that God has given us, it's a beautiful display of His character on earth. And we learn about who He is. We recognize who He is. We see Him in each one of us. And that's a beautiful thing. That's an encouraging thing. And it kind of, it builds on itself. You've seen a, a football game where they call the momentum swings, right? Something happens. Something, someone does something really well and it, and it enthuses the whole team and momentum shifts. When we all use our gifts, that keeps that momentum going. That continues to enthuse and encourage and inspire the body of Christ and we become what God wants us to be. Second thing that we are to, uh, that eventually will happen as we use our gifts, again in, in verse 13, uh, to a mature man. It's singular. I think that's not talking about individual people. I think he would have used a, a plural word if he was talking about each of us as individuals, but to a mature man. Um, you're talking about the body as a whole. Think about it this way. Uh, let's say that there was a, a guy who was uh, 6'5", 250, huge muscles, and he had several initials after his name. You know, he had gotten several degrees, so he's, he's got all the physical skills, he's got all the mental skills, but he kind of acts like a 13-year-old around people. Right? We'd call him immature, right? Two-thirds of him are very mature, physically and mentally, but emotionally he's immature, and he gets that label. We ignore the other two parts and we focus on the part that we say, oh, that's immature. It's kind of like that with us, right? If 95% of us are, are mature in our spiritual walk, but 5% of us are, are not and the community sees that, unfortunately, we get that label. The body of Christ gets that label. When, uh, when you read about Christians doing dumb stuff on TV, right, all of us get branded with that label. Oh, look, Christians are just idiots, right? But this is not about us looking around and pointing the finger. Oh, it's your fault I got that reputation. What this is about is us coming alongside one another. It's not about being judgmental. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about, number one, looking at ourselves. Am I maturing? First, it's an introspection. Am I putting myself in a position, in a place where I can mature, where I can grow, where I can be who God wants me to be? Am I putting myself under someone who can help me use my gifts and talents the way that God has called me to use them? But second, it's also looking around, not trying to get someone, but to say, who can I help? Who can I come alongside and encourage and admonish and love so that they move from immaturity to maturity? That's what the body of Christ does. Yeah, we're all going to do something stupid at one time or another. The world's going to look at us and say, oh, because of so-and-so, this is the way you are. Okay, we can ignore that. 
Am I more concerned with what someone says about me or that brother and sister who needs to mature? And will I come alongside and help him? And if those things aren't high enough, he then says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He gives these gifts so that we become Christ-like. The bar is not just eight feet anymore. It's maybe like 80 feet. Uh, Those are big shoes to fill. Uh, I think about uh, Bill O'Brien, who's the new coach at Penn State. He's got really huge shoes to fill. Whatever you think of Joe Paterno after that scandal, um, he won a lot of football games and had been there a long time, and Bill O'Brien has his work cut out for him. My guess is, though, is that he's going to have to do that without the shoes he's trying to fill without Joe Paterno's help. I don't guess Joe Paterno is going to come by the office and say, here's my playbook. My guess is he's probably not even going to call and offer words of encouragement. I don't know what that relationship will be like at all, but I think that Bill O'Brien has to fill those shoes on his own. I don't know if he'll succeed or not, but he's got a, a large task to fill. There was another famous coach back in the 60s, from Texas actually, I know, named Daryl Royal. Um, And every coach since he retired has had, at the University of Texas, has had to fill those shoes. It's never been the guy that was after him, after him. It's always been, how will this coach compare to Daryl Royal, who won three national championships in eight years? Mac Brown is the current coach, and, and what he did, as soon as he arrived in Austin, from North Carolina, actually, was he called Daryl Royal and said, what do I need to do to win the support of high school coaches, to win the support of fans? Would you help me? Would you be my friend? He sought out the one whose shoes he had to fill. And they have stayed friends throughout the years and continued to communicate and talk. Well, we've got bigger shoes to fill than Daryl Royals or Joe Paterno's. We've got Christ's shoes to fill. The good news is Christ is on our side. The good news is He's there to offer advice anytime we'd like. And He has chosen to fill us with His Spirit to allow us to fill those shoes. And so while that bar is extremely high, it's not unattainable because God has given us His Spirit. But don't think that that's not the goal. That is the goal. He wants us as a body to be Christ-like. That's His desire for us. And what is the result of all that? Well, growth, verses 14 through 16. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. No longer children. But I thought children were good. Don't we supposed to have childlike faith? Uh, We are, but um, children are easily moved. They're easily swayed. They're easily fooled. How many of you have ever pulled a quarter out behind a a kid's ear? And they went, right? 
My dad used to do that to my girls when they were little all the time. He'd change quarters in the dollars, and it was rather amazing, right? Children are easily fooled. They're easily deceived, easily led astray. And Paul says, if you use your gifts correctly, if you serve one another, if you help one another, if you're interested in building up the body of Christ, then you won't any longer be children. You won't any longer be deceived. He says, by every wind of doctrine, especially now with the advent of the Internet, um, you can find any opinion about any doctrine and any variation of any doctrine that you want with a simple click and a search. Someone's got an opinion about um, the newest and the latest and the greatest twisting this doctrine, changing that. If you're interested, you can find it. But if we are the body of Christ, it helps insulate us, protect us from that. It helps keep us on the straight and narrow, that one faith, our one Lord that we talked about last week. We need each other to keep us on the straight and narrow so that when I pick up a new book and go, oh, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. I, I think I kind of like that. Someone come along and say, well, yeah, but remember what God said in His Word. That's not really accurate. Right? We need each other to hone and sharpen our skills. Some of us may feel still like children when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to this book. If you're there, let me encourage you to find someone to, to come alongside you and help you grow or begin picking it up yourself and reading it. And then asking questions of people in the body here. What does this mean when God says this? Does it mean this or that? And, and find someone who's farther along than you are in the body who will help you figure that out. So we're not to be children, but instead we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Then he says farther down, according to the... Oh, I'm sorry. Who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Christ is the one that causes that growth. But notice it's a two-way street. By what every joint supplies. See, you and I have to put on the number. We've gotten into the stadium. We've gotten into the Olympics, so to speak. But we've got to put on the number. We've got to walk out to that track. We've got to face that bar. And we've got to take a step. And we've got to pick up speed. You and I have things to do. But the promise is that Christ... When we do that, when we are willing to use the gifts that God gives us, the promise is that Christ will cause us to grow. We may think it is impossible for me to get over that bar. But when I take the steps and I get up speed and I actually am willing to push off and maybe make a fool of myself and crash and burn, that doesn't happen. Because all of a sudden, God gives us spring to our step. That's grace. God equips us to do what He's called us to do. Remember, God is concerned about His name. He's concerned about His image. And He has left fallible people the task of spreading His image. 
He is not going to leave us alone to continue to fail over and over. So the challenge is, are you willing to take a step? Are you willing to be a part of the body of Christ by using your gifts and talents to serve one another, to love one another? When you do that, He equips us to do that well. And when we are doing that together, we will mature. We will become Christ-like. We will give this community an image of who Christ really is. And we'll clear the bar and come down. And um, as we sang a little earlier, we wait the consummation of our faith. And one day we will get to stand before Him and we will then ultimately be like Him for we will see Him as He is. And I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day with each of you. But in the meantime, I look forward to struggling together, to working together, to serving together, to ministering together to one another and to this community um, for God's glory. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this morning and for uh, a chance to look at your word. I thank you for the people that are sitting in this room, for their lives, for the families, for the gifts that you have given them. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and, and help us to continue to encourage and challenge one another. That you may be glorified and that we might mature and be who you have called us to be. God, we look forward to what you will do in and through us as the body of Christ. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.